The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Go Green Radio, brought to you by Covanta Energy. Reduce, reuse, recycle, rethink renewable energy and energy from waste. This program will help start you thinking about how to protect our world and its important resources. Now here's the host for Go Green Radio, Jill Buck. Welcome to Go Green Radio. I am so glad that you could join us today because the topic that we are going to be discussing affects all of us. Every day, even for those of us who try really hard not to, we throw things away. We put it in the garbage, we put it in the trash, things that we can't recycle. And the question is, are we doing the right thing with it? I mean, though we'd all like to get to a zero-waste society where there's no such thing as garbage, uh, between now and that utopia, we have to deal with the things that we throw away. And our guest today has been doing some life cycle assessments along with organizations like the US EPA, California Integrated Waste Management Board, the World Bank. He works for RTI International, which is a research-based um, organization that we're going to talk much more about. And he's been doing some life cycle assessments on what's going on with our solid waste management, what the environmental impacts of the options are for what we can be doing with our garbage, and really um, maybe even helping to shape some public policy around how we move forward with what we do with our trash in the 21st century. And so I'm very, very happy to have Keith with us today. Keith, welcome to Go Green Radio. I'm so glad that you could join us today. Thank you, Jill. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Before we launch into a bunch of questions that I have for you, because I'm kind of geeky about this topic of solid waste management, and so I get excited about it, I want you to tell us a little bit about RTI International, what you guys do, who your uh, clients are, and that sort of thing. Sure. Um, RTI International is a, a non-for-profit uh, research institute, and um, we do a lot of different types of research here. I, I'm in an environmental program of about 150 employees, um, but we have 3,000 employees on our main campus here in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina. We have uh, a few branch offices uh, around the U.S. and uh, a few international offices as well. Uh, those are mo- mainly focusing on specific projects and or clients. Um, in our environmental group, we we do work for the uh, U.S. EPA as our primary client, uh, but we also do work for the U.S. Department of Energy, um, other U.S. agencies, um, some of the commercial sector business as well. And our, our work on the solid waste side tends to flow across uh, multiple clients, including uh, local municipal governments and uh, also commercial sector clients. Gotcha. Well, and, and the fact is, there are so many different variables. When communities are considering what to do with the garbage that's in their purview in their jurisdiction, you know, some of the variables that they have to consider will vary by region, will vary by whether or not it's an urban, rural, or suburban environment, so many different things. And so uh, it's great to know that we have folks like you doing the hardcore research to help 
those folks make the best decisions. Now, for the average everyday American, a lot of us are starting to get more and more concerned and conscientious about what we consume and what we throw away. And a lot of us know that things that we don't recycle end up in a landfill. But what we understand about landfills is pretty limited, I think, for the most part. So talk to our listeners about what happens to their waste once it reaches a landfill. Sure. And landfills are, you know, an evolving technology. Um, Back when I was a kid, uh, which was in the early 70s, um, you know, landfills were still, by and large, uh, city dumps kind of situation. And, you know, not well-managed sites, um, but, you know, they were sites that everybody put their garbage in, and they were, you know, relatively small for the most part. Um, And then there was a transition in the 70s and 80s as EPA Subtitle D requirements came into effect to require landfills of a certain size to have liner and gas control systems. Um, So what we find now is there's been this progression over time um, to more regional, large landfills that are, are more highly engineered sites in terms of having, you know, very specific designs, very... Uh, tight liner systems and also a daily cover, gas collection systems and requirements that are in place for closure, post-closure monitoring and, and, you know, basic remediation of the sites in some cases. Right. And I realize that what I'm about to ask you is a really generic question and that answering it, you know, perfectly would take uh, into account a lot of geographical variables, but give our listeners an understanding um, of what the environmental impact of a landfill is. I mean, um, you know, I've read articles over the years about leaching, you know, out of liners, you know, toxins that would leach through liners and things like this. And, you know, I don't know what's true and what's accurate, but give us some idea of what the environmental impact is of landfills. Sure. Um, and once waste goes to a landfill, la- landfills are, you know, the way they're designed today is is they're large sites, but they really only have um, sort of a relatively small active site or cell where the waste goes. So in- anytime your waste is going to a landfill, it's not just dumped willy-nilly where every- anywhere. It goes to the, the active cell, the working face of the active cell is what they call it. And, and the truck dumps the waste there. It gets uh, pushed around, compacted, um, and then at the end of the day, there's some type of daily cover that's required to p- be put over the waste. Um, and what happens over time is is you get biodegradation of the organic material. And so the two main impacts that you get uh, from the landfill itself are, are the methane gas generation uh, that's produced under the uh, anaerobic degradation of the organic material, and you get leachate, which is really based on the moisture content of what you're putting in there and also the regional conditions in terms of rainfall, et cetera. So the two main impacts you're going to find are, are leachate and potential uh, water, groundwater impacts, and um, the landfill gas itself, which is primarily a, a climate change impact. But, you know, you also get trace organics and and other compounds like that that are are present in the gas. And, you know, talk to us about the gas. I know that a lot of people are familiar with this idea of reducing our carbon footprint, but it isn't carbon that's 
the, the climate change agent gas that we're talking about. Tell us about that gas from landfills. Yes, it's um, methane gas is what it is. And as a carbon dioxide equivalent, it has a potency of about um, 21 is what EPA formally uses, but, you know, it ranges uh, in the climate world uh, from the low 20s to the upper 20s uh, and above, depending on, on what factor you're using. Um, so methane is a much more potent greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide, and that's why it's looked at uh, quite heavily. Well, and, you know, a lot of people are even starting to use just everyday civilians. <laughs> With their calculators out there and little apps that you can put on your smartphone to start calculating your carbon footprint and reducing your carbon footprint. But I don't see the same kind of thing with methane, you know, like quit throwing away so much stuff and then you can reduce your methane footprint. Why do you think that is? If methane is so much more potent than carbon, why are we so hyper-focused on carbon versus methane? Um, I think the main uh, uh, point of that is uh, when we look at methane, it's not a, a huge contributor to overall uh, greenhouse gas inventory for for the U.S. or globally. You know, we're still talking uh, carbon dioxide is, is one of the main drivers behind uh, the total carbon emissions. Um, but landfills are the, the largest man-made source of, of methane, um, so they are looked at. Um, but it's, you know, we're still focused on energy and transportation and, and other aspects. Um, and it's also very difficult to, to quantify in some, some aspects. Uh, for landfills, it, it's, it's somewhat easier than other activities. But for activities like recycling, composting, um, you know, it's, it can get a, to be a little more difficult to actually quantify that because it's very uh, regional and uh, variable. Right. I know that a lot of landfills are starting to use, well, not starting to, some of them have been doing this for years, but they're using the methane off gas to produce electricity. So you'll see, you know, little little plants around the landfills with pipes going to it that are carrying methane to a little, you know, energy generation plant. And they're actually pretty small. I've seen these uh, up close and personally. And while that's arguably a better solution than simply flaring the methane off, you know, for no useful byproduct. From a life cycle assessment perspective, does the energy from the methane mitigate the cost, both financially and environmentally, of continuing to landfill our waste? Not really. Um, the amount of energy that's produced from, from landfill gas is it, it's good. You know, I, I agree that it's, it's better than just flaring it or, or venting it to the atmosphere. Um, but it's it's still relatively small. Um, you know, there'll be small applications where the landfill gas can be used by industry partners or some other cooperative nature like that. Uh, and every little bit helps, but in, in the grand scheme of things, it's not a, a huge bucket of energy sitting there. Right, right. And I have to ask because, you know, I know that this is a big business that we're talking about. Landfilling, solid waste management is a, is a big business. Um, so it's not as if, even if we said landfilling is not the right solution, that we could change things overnight. But if the U.S. Census Bureau's estimates for population growth in the U.S. are correct, and, you know, Americans continue to contribute the same amount per capita to the waste stream, in other words, we continue to throw away X number of pounds of stuff each day, 
Um, how long can we continue to landfill our waste in the U.S.? And I know that the answer to that varies on region, but give me some projections for a few areas of the country. Sure. The short answer is a long time. Um, the the more complicated answer is it really depends where you're located. Uh, there's still, you know, the U.S. in general still has a lot of available land uh, for landfills, um, but it depends specifically where you're located. On the East Coast, uh, Upper East Coast, Northeast, for example, um, space is more limited, land prices are a lot higher. So what happens is cities and communities tend to ship their waste uh, to other states, um, such as Pennsylvania, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina. Um, And that's sort of a common trend where you have um, big metropolitan areas or areas with limited land space for for landfills or very expensive land prices. Uh, The prevailing mode of dealing with the waste seems to be ship it out out of the region. Wow, that's not very neighborly, <laughs> you know, um, and I know that happens everywhere, but, uh, you know, when we start looking at things like cap-and-trade legislation and, and you know, each community being held accountable for its carbon footprint, the ramifications of transporting and hence creating, you know, carbon emissions of waste, um, you know, could really get complicated and cause some regional conflict if we start to see that. Um how, how big, you know, is the price tag for building a new landfill? I mean, if if a landfill becomes a landfill, how much does it cost to build a new one? That also ranges depending on size, of course, and a, you know, the range could be in the tens of tens of millions to up up to a hundred million or more. And what what are the the you know at the average number of landfills being uh, being produced in the U.S. I mean, are we closing landfills on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis? How how quickly are we going through the existing landfills that we have? There's quite a few landfills that are are nearing their capacity. So there's been a lot of movement and action in the, in recent uh, years, in the past five years especially, to look at alternatives. Um, and as those local or regional landfills fill up, um, as I mentioned, the the difficulty in, in siting a, a new landfill in that region has meant that most of the new landfills um, are opening up in, in other states uh, right. where land is more available. Wow. And there, there's a lot of environmental justice issues involved in sure. that. We're going to talk about that in just a few moments. We've got to take a quick commercial break. But we'll be right back, folks, with more Go Green Radio, so don't go away. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%, 43%, or 14%? 
Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Are you a real sports fan? Get ready to talk football and anything else sports with Kwame Lasseter, formerly with the Arizona Cardinals, San Diego Chargers, and St. Louis Rams. Kwame's got the experience, so he's prepared to talk sports with you every week on Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk. It's on the Voice America Sports Network every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. Get ready for unpredictable fun and sometimes a sarcastic look at the world of sports. That's Kwame Lasseter's Sports Talk on the Voice America Sports Network. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Issa, where America learns to invest best the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to go green radio with your host jill buck jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show so call us toll free at 1-866-472-5788 that's 1-866-472-5788 write to us too save some trees and send us an email to go green radio at gmail.com that's go green radio at gmail.com now back to go green radio with your host jill buck Welcome back to Go Green Radio. Folks, today we're talking about something that might be completely invisible to you, and yet it's impacting our daily lives, and that is what happens to our garbage once we put it in the can and forget about it. Where does it go? What's the environmental impact? And when I say environmental impact, what I really should be saying and what I'm most concerned about is what's the human health impact of the choices that our municipalities are making about where that garbage goes. After you've recycled everything that you can recycle, and that goes to a recycling broker, what happens to what's left in your garbage can? And today we're talking about whether or not landfilling is the best solution as we run out of real estate and our landfills become landfills and we have to find new places to bury our garbage. The question is, are there other options that are safer and more beneficial to and so we're talking today with Keith Weitz. He's with um, the RTI International, kind of a research. I like to think of them as a think tank because they are big thinkers. And they're working with some of the biggest public policy setters in the world, not just in the U.S. They work with the U.S. EPA. They've worked with the California Integrated Waste Management Board. And uh, they're also doing some work for the World Bank. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But I want to go back to this issue of uh, let's say you live in, and I'm going to use something that might sound hypothetical, except it's not. It's real, believe it or not. Uh, Let's say you live in San Francisco, 
and you uh, have very little real estate in your urban area, but even though you've got a high recycling rate, you've got a lot of garbage that has to go somewhere. And so what do you do with it? Well, currently, San Francisco is shipping it into my neighborhood. I can sit at the Starbucks uh, very near my house in the East Bay of California and watch all day long a convoy of trash and garbage coming from San Francisco going to a landfill that's just a few miles from where I live. And this is going on all over the U.S., big urban areas uh, that, you know, have not explored other options besides landfilling, are shipping their garbage to rural areas, to other states all over the place. And what we have to remember is that it's not just, you know, what happens in terms of once the garbage gets to the landfill and it may cause some environmental hazards right there on the site. But as you're transporting all of this garbage through a a bunch of neighborhoods on the way to this far-out landfill, uh, you're emitting carbon, course, but you're also emitting other air pollution, you know, uh, particulate matter. And it's not like every garbage truck that's taking garbage from urban areas to rural areas is, you know, some electric vehicle hybrid with no emissions. That's not the case. And where I live in the East Bay of California, we've got one in six children in elementary school going to school with inhalers because of asthma problems. Our air quality is not that great. And part of the problem not all just about garbage hauling, but that is part of the problem. And so we're going to be talking to Keith today about what are our options, and I'd like for you to talk about that. Keith, what are the alternatives to landfilling? Give us, you know, kind of a a range of options there and the pros and cons of each one. Yeah, right right now the traditional or conventional options include um, primarily re- recycling of materials uh, where the um, you can have different types of recycling systems where as a resident, for example, you might have separate bins that you segregate your, your items into or you might have one bin that you commingle all of your recyclable, recyclable items into um, or you can have a, a separation system that just is picking through the, the trash as it is and, and pulling out valuable items. Um, of course, some of the pros of that include that you're diverting waste from landfills. Uh, you divert some organic material in terms of paper from landfills. And when you recycle that material, you're offsetting the extraction uh, production of, of virgin raw material in the manufacturing sector. Um, and particularly for materials like metals, um, the, the energy savings and associated emissions are, are very significant. So where you can recycle and do it efficiently, it, it turns out to be a you know, very uh, significant benefit. Well, and after we've recycled everything that we possibly can, even if we're also pulling out our organics in these really great communities like my own where we can recycle pretty much everything, and we can also put our food waste and our yard scraps, you know, green and uh, green waste into a separate container, there's still some trash. There's still some garbage that isn't recyclable and that shouldn't be going into the composting or the food waste and green waste bins. Sure. Besides landfilling, what can we do with that? Yes, you can definitely take the green waste, such as food waste, yard waste, and compost it. Um, You can... You know, there's other technologies for extracting uh, energy from those materials. Um, You know, the conventional technology in the States right now is uh, mass burn waste energy type facilities. 
uh, one of the the benefits of those uh, types of facilities is they can basically take the trash as it is and and combust it and recover metals and other materials and also generate electricity. Uh, some also generate steam that can be used as um, heat energy, um, so that you get a, a benefit from that as well. Um, some of the newer technologies that are, are emerging today that include things like uh, gasification, uh, plasma gasification technology, uh, anaerobic digestion, which isn't a new technology, but it's, it's new for um, application to solid waste, are all designed to basically uh, take specific components of the solid waste stream and more efficiently convert them into a, a usable form of energy. And these usable forms of energy are considered by states like Florida and California, and I, I know others, as clean, renewable energy, much like solar or wind. Isn't that the case? Uh, yes, and it's, it's an ongoing debate about uh, the, the waste energy field and whether it is renewable clean energy or not. Um, so it, it's certainly not resolved at this stage, but it, it's getting there. And in a carbon world, for example, uh, most of the materials that you're converting to, to energy in some of these technologies are, are organic materials, and it's, it's akin to combusting uh, biomass to produce energy, uh, which is considered carbon neutral. Um, where you do get some positive uh, carbon emissions are, are when you're dealing with plastics that are consider, considered to be a, a fossil source of carbon. So there, there is a balance there. Right. And so if, if we were to recycle those plastics, pull them out, and they never ended up in the incinerators, that would be a plus for sure. Um, well, from a- um, some, some of the issues uh, about that is um, – very little of the plastic uh, types of plastic are actually recyclable at this stage. Um, most can be, but it really depends on your local recycling system, your your markets that your service providers have for those plastics. So certainly things like PET bottles, the, the water bottles, soda bottles, and milk jugs are, are more readily recyclable than some of the other classes of plastics. But there's still, you know, relatively speaking, a, a small percent of total plastics are recycled today. Well, and you know, it's funny because just a few weeks ago, and in fact, because next week we're on Thanksgiving holiday, I'm going to replay this show uh, because it's completely relevant to what you just said. Um, I had the CEO of a company called Preserve on, and he has a program called Gimme 5. And basically he manufactures kitchenware, toothbrushes, and some other goods out of number five recycled plastic. So he wants to, to capture as much number five plastic across the nation as possible to the extent that people can even rinse out their yogurt cups or whatever number fives they happen to have in the house and ship them to preserve if they want to. Um, and he's collecting it through you know, retail locations like Whole Foods and, and other places. And people can actually, you know, get this number five plastic out of the waste stream in their community, wherever they live in the U.S., send it to Eric at, at Preserve, and they will make 
brand new, really nice products. I mean, they're, they're actually high quality products out of number five. So, you know, I think, you know, these are the kinds of issues that can be tackled with, you know, creative entrepreneurs like Eric and, and others who are finding great uses for these plastics. But from a scientific standpoint, this technology of incinerating waste isn't new, um, and it's pretty highly regulated by the EPA. How how is it regulated? How can people, you know, feel confident that the emissions coming out of an energy from waste facility are safe and non-toxic? I mean, how, how do we how do we regulate that? Well, similar to landfills, waste energy facilities have also gone through an evolution of, of regulation, and they've been very strictly regulated um, in the past 10, 20 years of their existence. Um, you know, right now, if you look at some of the data that comes out of the facilities and from the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, the new source review um, regulations that basically prescribed maximum available control technologies for waste energy combustors, uh, emissions have been reduced for many pollutants by up to 99%. Um, so really, they're they're highly highly regulated, highly scrutinized. There's a, a whole lot of monitoring that goes on at each site, and um, you know certainly there's well run and not as well run facilities. But you know those facilities that are out of compliance, um, you know, get tagged as such and and get fined. Um, similar to any other manufacturing operation that that exists in a region, uh, they're under state and local. Uh, regulation as well. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to talk some more about that because I, I'm going to make a an interjection on public policy during the next segment, um, my two cents worth of what we ought to be doing. And uh, that piece of information that you just gave us about how energy from waste plants are regulated and, and the emissions are uh, very highly scrutinized will be important to what I'm about to say. So, folks, don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. 
Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio, folks. So glad that you could join us. If you're just tuning in and you start listening and you say, wow, what a great show. I wish I would have caught the beginning of it. Or if you've been listening all along and you think, hey, my friends ought to listen to this show. Do not worry. There's a couple ways you can get a hold of the rest of the show if you've missed it or if you want to share it with others. We are syndicated on Voice America's Green Talk Network, and we play this show 12 times. It's syndicated all week long. We're going to be playing this. You can listen to it again next Tuesday from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific, noon to 1 Eastern on the Green Talk Network. You can find that by going to voiceamerica.com and clicking on the Green Talk Network button. So check us out if you want to listen to this again or share it with others. That's how you can do it. You can also download the podcast of this show when it's ready and listen to it on the train or in the car or wherever your MP3 player happens to be. You can download this podcast and listen to it any old time. Well, today we are talking about trash, and after we've recycled everything we can, after we've composted everything we can, what happens to the rest of it? Is it better to bury it in a landfill, or is it better to burn it? And we've been talking about energy from waste facilities and talking about how the emissions from these energy from waste facilities are highly regulated by the EPA. It's not a new technology. In fact, a couple of years ago, I was in Minneapolis for a convention, and uh, I toured an energy from waste facility that is right downtown in Minneapolis. And as it turns out, it's right across the street from the brand-new Major League Baseball Stadium that they have there uh, in Minneapolis. It's a great little area of town, lots of shops and restaurants. It's a fun place to hang out. And right there across the street from the baseball stadium is an energy from waste facility. Now, this plant is not very big. Uh, the whole site is just a couple acres, you know, not, not anything huge. It doesn't require a huge amount of real estate to have an energy from waste facility. And though this plant was, you know, processing tons and tons of post-recycled garbage and waste and turning it into clean, renewable energy, there was no way of knowing that. If you were standing on the sidewalk over by the baseball stadium looking across the street at it, there's no smell. 
There's no garbage, you know, flying around. There's no waste outside of this facility. There's actually a technology, of, a kind of a, a vacuum technology that keeps any smell or any, you know, uh, dust and that sort of thing inside the plant. And when I walked in, it was pristine. I mean, it was like a little manufacturing plant, very, very tidy. And so, Keith, I guess my question to you is, why don't we have energy from waste plants in urban areas so that, A, they don't have to ship their trash and and transport it through other people's neighborhoods to some rural landfill, and, B, they can create some of their own renewable clean energy, you know, right there within their city limits. Why aren't we seeing more of that? Well, I think in in the U.S. there's a a negative perception of, of waste energy, um, in particular, in incineration plants, and and this probably stems from back in in the 60s and 70s when there were incinerators that were largely uncontrolled um, combustion units, and you know rightly so those those plants were emitting um, a lot of pollutants that were quite hazardous, dioxins and metals, for example. Um, but today the plants are, are much different and much cleaner, and I also have been to a number of facilities that you wouldn't have guessed what they were doing from the outside. There's no sign of, of garbage or smell or a smokestack spewing out emissions. Um, they're very tightly controlled, very clean facilities that don't have a, a lot of smell. Um, of course, there's, there's a, a variety of facilities, uh, probably about... Um, I think there's 86 current facilities in the states running. And, again, you're going to get a range of how well or not well those are operated. You're going to get state and local um, requirements that are put on those facilities. So they're not all going to be exactly the same. But, you know, I think most people would be surprised at looking at a a well-run facility and, and what that actually looks like. Well, I think a lot of people would be surprised to know that they have some other option and uh, besides landfilling. And I think that it's time for the U.S. and our public policymakers to kind of think about a 21st century solution. It seems so archaic to me. And again, I can't possibly be objective because I live in a neighborhood where garbage trucks from other communities are constantly going through past the freeway, past, you know, my neighborhood to get to rural landfills. So it's difficult to look at this, you know, in any other way. But, hey, can't you guys keep your own garbage within your city limits? But the fact is, I mean, it's not just about um, being able to, you know, eliminate the, you know, the landfills and use that land for something else, use our freeways for something else and, ra- you know, railways for something besides hauling garbage. But it's it's also about creating renewable energy right inside the city limits. It seems to me like such a win-win solution. I, I have trouble understanding why we're not doing that. And, uh, you know, perhaps it's just misinformation. I mean, in terms of what you know of the research, I mean, this is what you spend every day doing, researching solid waste management issues like this. Besides misinformation and political advocacy based on 1960s technology, what are the obstacles? Well, cost for sure is a big obstacle. Um, It can be very, very difficult to site a, a new facility in an urban area. Um, in fact, New York City went through this uh, recently, um, trying to look at options for managing their waste. And ultimately, what they have ended up doing is basically developed a new transfer station that ships it elsewhere. 
um, because they just ran into too many roadblocks uh, trying to, you know, site any type of new facility in, in the urban area there. Now, I have been in, in urban areas such as Tokyo that have a much different perspective and philosophy and about managing waste. And in Tokyo, for example, they have city districts that are are required to deal with whatever waste they generate. So you you can't you don't have the option of shipping it somewhere else. What what you generate is is what you need to deal with. And you know I, I like that philosophy. Um, but what that also means is you have smaller size facilities that are uh, not necessarily able to produce the the amount of energy that uh, a larger facility would be able to produce. Because you do do have some internal power requirements of these facilities. So their ability to generate power that they can export really depends on the efficiency of that process and how much uh, material they're able to use as, as feedstock. Well, and if they're able to, you know, keep keep the flow going. And I know that a lot of the energy from waste facilities that I've been to, I mean, they, you know, they are working in conjunction with you know, a large region of waste haulers and recycling brokers, and, and it's it's a very integrated system whereby they can keep the feed going and, you know, keep the, the energy production going 24-7 for the most part, much the same way that, like, a, a coal or a nuclear facility would be able to, which is, you know, kind of the, the trade-off when we talk about solar and wind, most people know that, you know, the sun doesn't always shine, the wind doesn't always blow. So, you know, the, the, one of the downsides of those technologies is that they, they don't run as reliably and as efficiently as some of the fossil fuel plants, which are, you know, higher in, in carbon, whereas an energy from waste facility that's well run and well integrated with the regional waste management system can be just as reliable in terms of 24-7, you know, energy production as a, as a fossil fuel-fired plant, as far as, as, as I know. And tell me if I'm wrong on that. No, you're correct. They, they definitely have been re- very reliable. And, in fact, most of the plants that are up and operating today have, have been in operation for the past 20 years uh, or more. Uh, there really haven't been any new facilities built since, uh, since then. Um, there's a couple new uh, facilities that are are getting permitted to be built in the states. Um, as you know, there is a transition in thinking about you know how can we find alternative sources for energy. Um, you know, one of the interesting aspects of all this is if we look at uh, energy uh, in terms of uh, a waste energy facility versus recycling. Um, you mentioned the the local benefit of that, and, and you're right. When you when you are using waste in a waste energy facility, you're basically displacing or offsetting electricity that would be produced uh, locally or regionally. Um, a lot of times, when we're recycling, uh, we're sending that material out of state, out of country, um, and the benefits don't necessarily accrue to us as a a locality. They're more global benefits. Uh, particularly in cases such as uh, on the West Coast and and other coastal areas where a lot of the recyclables go to uh, East Asia, and so you know we we don't have that that regional benefit of of increasing 
manufacturing for those materials in, in our country or, or even creating savings in our country. Those savings are actually happening somewhere else. Um, right. And that's something we're trying to get a better handle on is, is, is what, what are those trade-offs. Well, and I know that that's something that, you know, I've seen reports and, and some studies being done on that, even through the California Integrated Waste Management Board. A couple of years ago, well, maybe it wasn't even two years ago, maybe a year and a half or so ago, all of a sudden, the um, you know, when, when the recession hit and people were buying less, um, we couldn't send paper to China to be used, you know, to be recycled and used for... Um, packaging because people weren't buying as much stuff. And all of these recyclers here in California that normally ship their paper over to China were stuck with the material, and there were no domestic markets for them to, to send that paper to. And it was kind of an amazing thing because all of a sudden there were a lot of people at the California Integrated Waste Management Board saying, hey, if our sole source for getting rid of our paper and recycling it is overseas and that market tanks, we don't have any other options. This is not a good, you know, way of doing business. We need to have multiple, you know, places to send our recyclables. I can take a quick break, but we're going to be back on that vein in just a few moments. So, folks, don't go away. There's more Go Green Radio right after this. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Take a wild guess. How much garbage generated in the United States today is converted into energy? Is it 26%? 43%? Or 14%? Working here and around the world to produce a reliable supply of clean, green energy, Covanta Energy works with communities to turn household trash into energy. Oh yeah, that question I asked earlier? Today, only 14% of U.S. garbage is converted to energy. Just 14%. Covanta alone processes half of that municipal solid waste into renewable energy for a cleaner world. For more information about Covanta Energy, visit us today at www.covantaenergy.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice America Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Go inside the world of PR with PR Insider, hosted by public relations expert Maureen Kettis. Maureen will speak to the world's highest profile PR pros from the fields of marketing, advertising, and sales. And PR Insider will feature renowned members of the media as special guests. Maureen will give you a VIP access pass, including tips and tricks to take your business to the next level. PR Insider with Maureen Kettis, sponsored by Cision, us.cision.com. Listen every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Network. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com.
You're listening to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Jill would love to hear your comments or questions on today's show, so call us toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Write to us, too. Save some trees and send us an email to gogreenradio at gmail.com. That's gogreenradio at gmail.com. Now back to Go Green Radio with your host, Jill Buck. Welcome back to Go Green Radio. So glad that you could join us. We're talking about a topic that I am very clearly passionate about. And, yeah, I am a little bit geeky about garbage issues. I am all about recycling and composting everything we possibly can. But when it comes to what's left, I have some strong opinions based on uh, a lot of information and a lot of things I've seen with my own eyes to include how well run some energy from waste facilities are and the benefits of those and what a mess it is um, to truck and to, tr- you know, train and, and transport garbage long, long distances through neighborhoods um, to rural areas with landfills that maybe the rural residents don't maybe even want. So we're talking about whether to bury, whether to burn, um, what's best in terms of solid waste management for the garbage that we cannot recycle or compost. We're talking with Keith White. He's from RTI International, and he's done some work recently with the World Bank. And I'm interested in what you're doing with the World Bank, Keith. What is their interest in solid waste management? Well, the World Bank um, deals a lot with uh, sanitation and health issues. And of course, the the management of solid waste is, is a sanitation and ha- health issue. Um, in developing countries, especially where there aren't good mechanisms for collecting the waste and properly disposing of it, you can get, you know, just piles of waste um, on roadsides, uh, strewn about, uh, you know, in open dumps or at the side of the road. And, you know, they create vectors for diseases and, and other health issues. So the, the bank is really concerned about how do we improve the situation um, as as more alternatives um, come to light here in terms of how to manage waste uh, via composting, recycling, waste energy technologies, um, the World Bank uh, consultants that are in countries are, are, you know, having a hard time wading through the data and information and figuring out what is what is the best solution for this given city or this given region. So that's their key interest. What trends are you seeing in that regard? Well, the, the biggest trend is just basic management of the waste. So having a, a formal collection system um, to get it off the off the streets, out of the household, um, and more managed, engineered uh, landfills rather than open dumps or open dumps or um, managed dumps. And ironically, what that's going to mean in the developing world is when they move from more open and managed dump situations to uh, engineered sanitary landfills is um, the potential for methane generation from those sites is is going to increase. Um, So the management, control and management of the landfill gas, the methane is going to be a a big issue as these countries uh, proceed on their path to to development. Well, you know, it's interesting because um, in so many technologies, we're seeing developing countries sort of leapfrog over some of the technologies that we have 
you know, kind of gone through in the last hundred years in the U.S. For instance, you know, there are people in Africa who will never have a landline telephone but already have cell phones and, you know, other types of leapfrogging of, of technologies going on. Is there any reason why, I mean, I guess maybe cost, but why they're not leapfrogging over landfilling straight to energy from waste facilities so that they could get the double benefit of, you know, managing their solid waste in a sanitary means, but also creating clean energy? Sure. I mean, the the biggest issue is probably cost again. Um, waste energy facilities aren't cheap, especially large scale. Um, and when you have a situation where you don't have a formal collection system, you know, you need that collection transportation system to get the waste to, to any facility. So I think the basic concerns and, and issues in, in a lot of countries are, you know, the basic let's collect the waste and manage it first. And, you know, you're, you're not going to eliminate the need for a landfill in most locations. So it's the landfills are, are probably the initial concern. Now, there is, um, you know, a lot of movement in the emerging technology, waste energy technology area in a lot of developing countries, and, and some of that is due to the funding availability to those countries. They're able to get uh, international grants and, and other financial mechanisms that aren't necessarily available in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we do have a number of projects going on in the U.S. right now, uh, and the technologies have been used a long time on on other types of uh, material feedstock streams, but de- dealing with waste or, and, and garbage as you put it out in your your trash bin is is a difficult thing. There's there's a lot of materials in there you you don't want to run through some of these technologies, mm-hmm. and so in the future, you know it's really going to be dependent on how well we can set up our collection and separation systems to you know recycle those things we want to recycle and produce energy from those materials we want to produce energy from and compost those items that we want to compost. Right. Now, you look at this data all day long, Keith. What are your biggest concerns about the future of solid waste management here in the U.S.? I would say my biggest concerns um, really don't have anything to do with the data uh, per se. Um, Well, half of my concerns. Um, One half of my concern is is probably just our our nature and our consumerism. And what what we have is, you know, in the U.S. we have a society that doesn't place a lot of value on on materials um, that we consume every day. Um, You know, I'm sure we can all relate to to Christmas, and we have Christmas coming up here soon where we're going to be opening a bunch of gifts and packages that, you know, are packaging within packaging within packaging. And, mm-hmm. you know, every year I get frustrated about the amount of packaging that one gift generates, especially kids' toys, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, do, we just throw that material away and don't think about it. Um, back a number of years ago in the, the Great Depression in the U.S., when materials were more scarce, there was more value placed on them. I remember my grandmother, for example, you know, we, if we would eat off of paper plates, she would clean the plates off and save them mm-hmm. and save, save anything she could. Um, so I, I think part of my concern is that, you know, we need to get back that, that value of, of having, um, you know, some intrinsic value of these materials that are in waste. Um, the second part of, of my concern is is that people really don't have a clear understanding of waste management uh, once it's out of sight. You put it in your recycling bin, you put it in your trash bin, and and forget about it without 
really knowing what happens to that material and without knowing what, you know, maybe some other options and being able to, you know, participate in, in public policy discussions about that. Speaking of which, in the couple minutes that we have left, what can everyday citizens do to have a positive impact on our municipal solid waste public policy? Um, I think, first of all, everyday citizens, uh, the win-win solution is reducing what you use. So the the more you can reduce, uh, reuse materials or or recycle those materials, the the better off we are. you know, other than that, it's it's really getting involved. It's it's again, most don't really care about solid waste management until somebody proposes to put a facility in their neighborhood, and then they're very concerned about it. Um, right. So I, I think there's a level of involvement needed there. Uh, one interesting thing was I just got back from uh, Taipei uh, in Taiwan, and they have one of the world's best. Uh, recycling systems. And the reason for that, we learned, is because of their uh, the, the value their culture places on volunteerism. And so in Taipei, for example, they have a, a volunteer workforce of, of up to 100,000 people that basically help go through and pick out valuable materials from, from the waste that can be recycled or reused. Um, and so we need some sort of you know, viewpoint that maybe doesn't go that far, but at least uh, takes us a little further than we are now. Do you see any programs or, or outreach efforts that are particularly effective that you think, you know, every community ought to be, you know, looking at this program or, or anything? Is there any model out there in the U.S. that's, you know, particularly effective in that regard? Well, there's a couple of different models, uh, computer models, that is, and, you know, we've built one with the U.S. EPA, the Municipal Solid Waste Decision Support Tool, that is really designed to um, try to quantify the cost, energy balance, and emissions associated with different management options. And it's really, you know, it's more of a learning tool than anything to learn, well, what if we recycle this, or what if we compost that, or what if we have this waste energy facility and, you know, what are the benefits and, and burdens of each of those activities so we can, you know, better understand what, what the trade-offs might be. Um, well, you know, and I, I would love to see those kinds of tools. I think, you know, as everybody's talking about the cloud this and the cloud that, those kinds of tools in the hands of everyday citizen advocates, the more that we are able to, you know, first of all, understand and then um, intelligently engage in, you know, activism and advocacy, the better. Um, while we'd love to just outsource, you know, this problem and leave it up to elected officials and, uh, you know, municipal solid waste folks, um, I think that it's a great idea to have citizens engaged in these decisions and be aware of what happens um, in their communities and, and understand that we have choices and that we can influence those who are making these public policy decisions and, and feel educated enough about what we're advocating for to stand up at a city council meeting or stand up at a, you know, a solid waste management board meeting and, and talk about these things and say, this is the kind of community that I want my children to grow up in and this is what I want. Um, so I want to thank you, Keith, so much for joining us. I want to thank RTI International for all the great research that you all are doing. Uh, I'd love to have you back on the show again to talk more about these 
issues. But uh, in the meantime, folks, have a great week, a happy Thanksgiving, and uh, we'll be back same time, same place next week with more Go Green Radio. Did you get some terrific ideas from today's show? Please join us for more next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time. It's Go Green Radio with Jill Buck here on Voice America. Go Green Radio is proudly sponsored by Covanta Energy, a leader in providing renewable energy solutions for a cleaner world. Visit www.covantaenergy.com for more information. We'll see you here next week.